like that's success. And I think that what I would challenge all of our industry watching is that if you think about what makes you happy, if you think about what you really love about our industry, do that. Even if it's not, even if it might not be, even if you think to yourself, okay, no, well, you know, I'm a sous chef now at a Michelin restaurant and that's great. But what I would really love to do is to be able to bring really awesome food to midwives. Fuck, go do that. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Way Ramen Podcast. In today's episode, we sit down with the one and only Mark Noguchi, who is lovingly known here in Hawaii as Chef Gooch. For people outside of Hawaii, which is probably most of you listening, Chef Gooch is the man here. He's one of the faces of the local culinary scene and a true-to-life celebrity chef for all intents and purposes. At one point in his life, Chef Gooch was operating three restaurants and a catering business here in Hawaii. He's a graduate of CIA and has worked in some of the top kitchens here in Hawaii. He's also very well known for his love of Saimin, Hawaii's local version of ramen. So much so that he even had a TV show here called Simon Says, which was broadcasted statewide and on all Hawaiian Airlines flights. Currently, Chef Gooch is operating the Pili Group with his wife Amanda, as well as teaching food and Aina-based learning at Punahou, the acclaimed private school here on Oahu, which has many famous alumni, including Barack Obama. Gooch is passionate about food and life, and I was so glad he agreed to come on this podcast. Just a heads up, we actually talk very little about ramen or saimen here. It's more of a conversation about life, making difficult decisions, family, and what success means to a chef. But I think it's still an episode you'll enjoy, especially if you're someone who's interested in pursuing a career in the culinary world. So without further ado, here is Chef Gooch. Right on, right on. So thank you so much for coming on. I really do appreciate it. You're, like You're the, welcome. You're like the biggest celebrity chef I think I got on because I knew I, I don't know, think so because I you had Ivan you had Ivan Ramen and that's I know cute. I know but I I've known of you long before Ivan Ramen and Sarah <laughs> Gavigan and uh, the guys in Japan. You know, so I'm pretty stoked uh, with your son. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. So it's a you know it's a privilege to be it's a privilege to be on. So more all right. right. No, thank you. So. This this podcast probably majority of the people that listen to it are on the mainland or outside of Hawaii. So, mm-hmm. how would you how would you describe yourself? Like, how would you introduce yourself today? Oh, jeez. Uh, uh, I guess. So my name is Mark Noguchi, and because of my last name Noguchi, when I was a kid, uh, my nickname was Gooch, and then it 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 in college it it went from Gooch to Noguchi. And then that was just what everyone called me for a while. But in the kitchen, I think it was, it was, where was it? I think it was at Alamoana Hotel. And I was working for Ryan Day and Chef Ryan. We had a couple marks in the kitchen. And, um, you know, chefs want to be able to chew you out in the least words as possible. And he also wanted to know, we knew who he was talking to. So someone one day just came up to like, hi, you fucking gooch. I was like, oh, I haven't heard that in a while. And it stuck. And so that's why people call me Chef Gooch, or now at Puno Home, my students call me Uncle Gooch. So I have, I'm a husband. Uh, we have two daughters, five and six. And um, our company, Amanda and I, we formed a company called Peely Group. Peely Group was the umbrella group to all our restaurants. And at, at our peak, we had three restaurants and a catering element. And, it was, and we were, I mean, it was full steam ahead. 
And then uh, what I do today is we formed an organization called Chef Hui. Uh, there are components of Chef Hui, the, you know, the, the, the demos, the cooking classes, things like that. We've done that for years. But it definitely shined a new light on our capabilities when COVID happened. And we became sort of like food rescue and distribution. Yeah, I see you yeah, working so super hard. That's what I do. That's what we do together. Yeah. Yeah. So people don't know who don't know Chef Gooch. He's like the local celebrity chef in Hawaii. For people outside of Hawaii, they don't know. They may, they might not know, but he's everywhere. Everywhere you look for cooking stuff, you're there for some reason. You guys are just looking at the same things, man. I'm telling you, I don't know what Ryan's talking about. <laughs> okay. But before we get into like kind of the cooking stuff and the Simon stuff, I want to talk a little bit about the backstory because I know that hula was like a huge part of your life. Yeah. So how did so, you get into hula? Like, I mean. So I have wanted, I wanted to dance my entire life. Um, a little backstory for everybody is that I am uh like a second generation Japanese in Hawaii, which means that my father was the first Noguchi to come to Hawaii. Uh, my mother, Eleanor Kazuko Horii, who was who um, was from both Manoa and Hilo, whose family was from Manoa and Hilo, uh, was, what was she? She was already, I think, a second? No, she was a second generation. So, you know, you, it, I guess it fluctuates between two and two and a half on what generation I am. And growing up in a pretty, pretty traditional Japanese family, um, you know, to hula was the furthest thing away from my father's list of wishes for me to do. <laughs> so, uh, so I couldn't. And growing up in Honolulu, uh, I had a hard time growing up in Honolulu. It was just, it just wasn't, I just didn't fit in. It was, you know, I always joke about how like to grow up a good Japanese boy in Honolulu in town, you know, you got to like, you gotta be able to play baseball or soccer. I sucked at all those things, <laughs> but I always enjoyed hanging out with, uh, you know, the boys from like Pololo and Papakolea. Yeah. So that kind of got me, you know, I think got me into trouble, even though I was smart enough to know exactly what side to to stay on. But um, I just rather I rather hang out with those guys. You know, to me, life was always the more real. And when I moved to Hilo, I got to dance. Um, it was I was in the lineup one day in the water just happened to meet another guy who then in talking um he was mentioning how oh he was starting his first day you know in, in for hula and then i was like oh it's interesting because that day at school uh, my hawaiian language teacher had kind of invited invited me she was like oh you because i'd asked her she's like you know if you're serious about it we're a small family i had no idea who they were and little did i know that i, I that night i walked into uh halau kekuhi so Halao Kekuhi is the Kanakole family, and their style of dancing is very unique. And it was the beginning of I, like the rest of my life. You know, I had never, I never dedicated myself to anything other than like Mark Noguchi. You know what I mean? Up until Hula, it was pretty much, you know, all about me. And um, I think dancing all around the world playing music you you always get hosted and i started to notice how food how people come around gather on food if you grew up in hawaii you know it's you take it for granted you kind of you know when you go to the baby luau's or, or all, the, all the garage parties yep. there's always food and i and i know i took it for granted so to be able to 
um, understand that 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 the love of food and the, and the love of gathering around food is universal. That was pretty cool. And I think somehow that has stuck into my head. And I, for a good while, I had thought that hula was going to be it for me for the rest of my life. And I was very fortunate that when I started to wonder if hula was it for me, that someone just out of chat, we just came back from like a two-year-long tour, and a buddy of mine one day was like, hey, what you been up to? We're talking story. And then he's like, oh, so what's next? And I'm like, I don't know. And I said, you know, Kinoi, like, I don't know if hula is my life. And he was like, it was interesting. Was he didn't, he didn't pause. And he was like, oh, you ever thought about cooking? <laughs> like, what? And we were at KCC that day for a conference. Okay. He said, oh, yeah, you ever thought about cooking? I'm like, wow, only dorks go to cooking school. <laughs> and he's like, no, no, no. You know, Hilo has, I mean, Honolulu, where KCC has a culinary program. I'm like, huh. And for some reason, on our lunch break, we said, why not? Or I said, why not? I went down to the office and it so happened that Lori Myhard, a counselor, was was in. We talked for like 45 minutes. She pushes the application. She's like, you know, Martin Good. she's like, I don't know why, but I have the feeling that this might be good for you. Took the application back to Hilo, thought about it for a week, and was just like, why not? Something told me that, go for it. And that was kind of a big week because PBS had asked us if they could document us. So there was this, so the week that he said go to culinary school, selections for the documentary came out. So I was, I, I, you know, I had made the cut for that. And I remember telling Auntie Nalani, and when I told like Kuhao and my friends, they were like, wait, you're going to leave now? To go culinary like, school? Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're like, why don't you wait till all of my belly is done? I'm like, I, and I, and I, you know, I'm like, I don't know. I said, I, I feel like I have to go now. And if you remind me, there's a story, there's a connection to that story down the line when, when I decided to leave New York and come back to Hawaii. But I just felt very compelled and I've kind of learned to listen to my gut. Because when I don't listen to my gut, I get in trouble. How long did it so take I you did. to to make that choice? Because I kind of going through like on similar thing where, you know, I've been doing this ukulele thing for 12 years actually longer because since high school i've been gigging and playing music mm-hmm. and then started this website to teach people how to play ukulele with my friends and you know like you probably feel the same way like you love those people that you're dancing with you know you love them so much like your family almost right but then there's something inside you's like i don't know if i'm gonna if i can keep doing this already i gotta I might right. want to change like how 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 long did it take you to to come to the realization like oh i think i need to go in a different direction or was it just like instantly got a feeling and you changed right away or no i remember there was a moment there was a moment when we were touring in alaska and there was it's not like anything negative you know sometimes like you know slightly negative things alter the course of your life or alter you know your decisions there was nothing negative about my life at that time yeah you know i mean i got i was 23 years old i got to tour lotus are you going Okay. Sorry, I'm watching my kids too. Everybody, I'm watching my kids. If you hear me, like, look up and yell at someone that I'm watching my kids. Um, but um, it was a thought that popped into my head in the middle of a tour. And I kind of paid no mind. But I think I knew that one thing that you should know about Halao Kikuhi is 
you can you will never you will never become a kumu of halal kekuhi unless you are kanakoli. It's only passed through bloodlines. So I had made it to Olapa. Olapa mm-hmm. is like the professional level, the highest level you can go. And um, it just kind of started to recur as a thought, like what is next? And then the catalyst was Kinohi just kind of, so, you know, spitting it out. So I think it was kind of made, meant to be. Um, what I would say, Ryan, is, or for anyone out there, is like, I think it's important to, if you trust yourself, you know, if you are a person of decent moral character, I would say that, you know, your your guts, your gut instinct has a lot, right, to, to give. Um, and I think that our gut instinct is also reinforced by just life experiences. So you kind of combine those two. And for myself, what works for me is that, you know, if, you, if it pops up into my, you know, my head or my heart more than once, I, I, I definitely give it. But, you know, for like you and your ukulele, Ryan, is, you know, I know that there's a lot of people that, that know of Ukulele Underground and it provides an, a creative outlet for a lot of people. Yeah. And so having thing. said that, yeah. But at the same time too, Ryan, right, if it's serving other people more than it's serving you, it's worth thinking about because we can only give so much, right? You, you know, they, they have that term like aloha aku, aloha aku, to give, to give aloha. And we, we often forget like aloha mai, to take care of ourselves, to love ourselves. And I think all of us know, everyone here who's listening probably has experienced what happens when, when we give more of ourselves than we give to ourselves and things happen, right? We get sick, we get hurt, we don't make the best business decisions or relationship decisions, <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know, it, it, um, you know, I think, I think, I think, I think that's important to listen to yourself. Yeah, yeah. It kind of took me like years to kind of come to terms. Like maybe this isn't what I want to do forever. Because for for it was my life from from high school. Yeah. Last year, maybe this year, even still kind of working on trying to transition out. But you know, I'm still working there. But yeah, it's been nuts. But okay, how did you get from? So you signed up for KCC Culinary School there. Mm-hmm. And then you went to CIA, right? Like I've read all these things. About yeah, you. yeah. A friend, you know, I started cooking at 25, which in a, in, in in our kitchen and kitchen world uh, is pretty old already. Mm-hmm. I remembered my first couple of restaurant jobs. You know, all all of my sous chefs were way younger than me. You know, um, even a few of my chefs were younger than me. And so I think what was cool was in the in the early 2000s. We saw a lot of career changes. I, I, I'm not too sure why. I think it maybe was the proliferation of media. You know, social media had just kind of started to gain momentum. Yeah. Cooking and food was really becoming sexy. So you had a lot of people around my age that were making career changes. And what that actually did, though, was you found a lot of people that started it and realized, like, oh, yeah, it's not for me. There's a lot of career changes. I remember meeting, you know, like two astrophysicists, four doctors, you know, a couple architects and they're like, Oh, I just, you know, I, I love food. I have a passion. And all those guys are not cooking anymore. And it's not for lack that they couldn't, but I think it's that, um, the, the, the popularity of cooking, you don't realize how hard it is until you do it. Yeah. Yeah. For like, 
a full-time gig <laughs> more than two years. And then you start to have an idea. So, but I love the work. But I did get, you know, I did get, um, I did get more than a few times denied a position because, you know, I've, I've been told like, you're too old or you're not serious. I got told that a few times. Oh, you're just a career changer. You Go back to your regular life. Oh, there's like a stigma about that at the time. It's like right, all these people right, like right. midlife crisis or third life crisis right. trying to figure out their next exactly. thing. And- so what I did was I kind of channeled that and my thought was, okay, I'm serious about this. But I also knew that I had, um, I kind of had a, a time frame. In other words, I also was fortunate to have mentors and to also work in um, a couple kitchens where people weren't happy, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, I've worked with cooks that, you know, I've worked with some cooks that they'd, they honestly, if they, if they could choose the easy way out and just drop dead, they would want that. Yeah. Yeah. And I told myself that I never wanted to be that guy. So I'm going to put everything I have into it. And I'm also going to make myself as uncomfortable as possible. Yeah. So the way that I did that was move as far away as I could. Brad, it's so crazy. Cause I have a very similar story. One of the first times we went out, for you you to tour the mainland we did a show in eugene oregon and there was another performer there that we saw him in the green room and he was like just you know head down like just fuck why am i here kind of like that you know mm. and then and then right before he went on he took like a deep breath like and he put on this big smile and he did and his whole go. act but yeah. it was fake you could but from seeing him the audience had no idea that he was just doing that 10 minutes ago in the green room mm-hmm. come out walk down that did his like little show thing smiling all acting all happy and yeah. I was like and I told myself like then it was like 2009 2008 like I never want to be that guy and so yeah. when I started to feel like that the last couple of years like oh my god I'm the guy you know doing mm-hmm. stuff that I think I feel like trapped you know almost oh still there Oh yeah, there, there. Okay. Sorry, no, we got cut off. That's my wife. No, 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 So, so you went to CIA, and how did you get back home to Hawaii? Like, you know, you, did you plan to just live in New York oh, City I and always, work? Yeah. I always knew that I was going to come home. Um, and so I did my best to stay focused during my time. Um, you know, Ryan, I think that I always recognized that while I wasn't old. I was not young, young either. So I knew that I had a, um, I knew that I had a, a time frame. Uh, one of my chefs told me, he said, you know, you better, you know, you better know what you want and you better work hard. He said, because there is a shelf life for line monkeys. <laughs> and I remember what he meant by that was as a line cook, you know, playing, being a line cook is like, playing a professional sport you know uh-huh. it, it it wears on you so i think you got to focus because you know me yes there's some people out there that i know that all they want to be is a line cook for the rest of their life and that's cool um i didn't you know i wanted i wanted to know what else there was was out there and, and i think i'm sure i'm sure you've heard before um you know other people have mentioned that about how they're tired and, and, and on my end, I wanted to make the most of it. Mm-hmm. And I also credit Halal Kikui because for some reason as a cook, when people talk about, um, uh, when people talk about why they're passionate, 
about our industry. What made me passionate about my industry is like meeting people, was people. And it was also for, and what I, I didn't, I didn't realize it until much later, but my time with Halal Kekuhi, almost 10 years, set the framework for me on how I looked at ingredients, how I looked at people, how I looked at my place in our community. So I would never, I never have, nor will I ever claim that I am, you know, one of the best in Hawaii. I'm very flattered to say that, but I think what makes my perspective and my cooking different is that it's, it's, it comes from an Aina-based perspective. And we're real fortunate that in today's day and age, there are a lot more Aina-based chefs. And I'm not just about like Hawaii Aina. You know, we have, uh, I think his name is, uh, I think his, uh, his Instagram was like RSF chef or something like that. But there's, you know, there's like Native American chefs. Uh, there are Maori chefs. There are, you know, Canadian chefs who are cooking their heritage, researching their heritage, and then applying that into, you know, into our contemporary cooking. That's pretty, you know, that's pretty heavy. That's pretty cool. But back then, you know, back then, you know, so many of us were still in the, in the, raised in the old school regime that, mm. You, if you if you're if you're molded and raised one way in a kitchen, you kind of only know that one way. And I feel fortunate that I started cooking at the end of like that old school era where you get yelled at, you know, you get shit thrown at you. Yeah. Um, so is, it, is then, it not like that now in kitchens? Or is that what you're telling me? Oh, no, wow. it's a big I think, change. You know, times have changed. Yeah. I mean, there are still there are still intense kitchens. Mm. I got some friends that still run some pretty pretty intense kitchens, but you can't. It's not. It's just not the same way. You know, it's a different world. And I think honestly, it's for the better. Yeah, I yeah. thrive. I love the abuse. I love the abuse. <laughs> I'm one of those guys that, you know, you get shit thrown at you to be like, yes. <laughs> but I can also recognize and respect that we live in a in a different time. You know, I have seen. I have seen some really sexist things in my time. Mm. I have seen a lot of things I don't agree with. Um, I have seen, I've seen people get hurt intentionally. Um, you know, we call those war stories. Um, I like to look at them as reflections as well, mm. because whenever I begin to sort of come unraveled or act like an asshole, I, I try to remember that, like, what is the way I look at now is how do I want my daughters to see me? Yeah, yeah. That scopes that scopes on me a lot on on on, a, on how to act as a leader. Yeah, that's interesting. It's interesting that you make that point because I think just in chef, just cooking in general, right? Like, there's people that are brave enough to try to cook to their palate and then to their heritage and to their background, and then there's other people that not necessarily not not brave, but they're just they just do what they've learned and they don't want to deviate. Hey, wait, too much Brian, from real it. quick, just fast. I want to give her props and I'll leave her alone. But this is the other half of Peely Group and Chef Hui. This is my wife, Amanda. <laughs> well, this, is Amanda. this is Big Boss. So anyway. She just came home? Yeah, she just came home. She picked up her work, car. Still working hard, huh, you guys? Yeah, we try to keep each other in check. But yes, um, we, can, we can work till the sun goes up. Yeah, that's crazy. And then I... we got to stop, though. You know, we got to remind ourselves to take a break that's what i was going to ask you too so like how do you balance family life because i see you working and i see amanda mm-hmm. working too on instagram you guys are you guys are busting ass every single day how do you balance mm-hmm. you guys have two kids 
and family? Like, how do you balance that? I have a kid. I have a kid on the way. How do you balance yeah. family life and working? And because I, lo- I love, you probably love what you do too, right? So like, I love what I do. And, but how do, so how do you make that balance? You know, we, Amanda's from Springfield, Missouri. And, um, you know, my mother just, we just lost my mom because of cancer. Sorry about that. So we don't have, we don't have that grandparent support that we thought we would, that we had hoped we would. And when our girls were really young, there were many fights, many tears, many, many arguments and discussions about how do we make it work? Is this worth it? And here we are years later and our girls are, I would like to think that they're resilient. If, um, you know, maybe for you guys watching, uh, if you haven't noticed yet, um, my daughters have not come up to me complaining or telling on each other or, you know, we've been talking for half an hour already. Um, but we just take them everywhere. And I remembered a few times where, you know, we tell our clients like, hey, just let you know, you know, when you come to me, hey, just let you know, um, we, got our, we got our girls with us. And I think we're lucky that we live in the time that we do because there were a few clients that were like, ooh, like, you know, do they have to, you know, like really? <laughs> and then some of those clients we decide not to work with. Uh-huh. Because it's like, why would we want, because we work in this sort of whole big picture family community, why would we want to work with a client whose immediate reaction was like, oh, no, no, no. Adults only, don't bring them. Uh, But most of our clients are like, oh, yeah, sure, no problem. And then they quickly saw like, we bring them with us. And those clients today are, are they, they remark to us, like, I remember when you guys brought your kids everywhere, you know, hanging on a man. I have so many pictures of my wife at events or, uh, or going to a meeting with both kids strapped on her, you know, and, and to all you working mothers out there, thank you, you know. That's how we do it. We take them everywhere. We don't give them a choice. And granted, they're not teenagers yet. Mm-hmm. So we don't know how badly we fucked them up, <laughs> but <laughs> they seem happy, man. Like I see, I but see I them in all your videos. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think, I think so. And, and I'm trying to say all this with as much humility as possible. But at the same time, like a lot of people ask us, how do we do it? Or when they tell us like your kids are so well behaved or yeah, your yeah. family, you guys look so happy. You know, it's like, it's like, it's a lot of fucking work. <laughs> you know, there's like, People don't see the fights, the tears, uh-huh. the 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 sacrifice, the compromises. But then we have moments like this. You know, our girls have come with us to numerous food drives, mask on, they hang out, they'll, they'll sit in the back. I mean, you know, bless their heart, they sat in the back of a hot ass car in Campbell Industrial Park for like three hours. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right, put up the tailgate. You hang a towel, you give them your iPad, yeah, you go yeah, to work. Yeah, yeah. But I thank them for that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I watch, I, like, I've seen, you see, like, they're in a lot of the videos or media that you guys do. Like, your kids are always mm-hmm. there and they're always looking. Yeah, happy, they're so always you guys, there. You guys are doing a great job. So. And I look at the girls for them, not that I want them to be celebrities or movie stars, but doing what we do. I want them to be comfortable. I think I think my wife and I are in agreement that we want them to be comfortable behind a camera. Mm-hmm. 
You know, it's they will be a part of their family business for the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. And okay. I also, you know, Ryan, you know how like, um, you know how we kind of attract the people that we want to hang out with, or you hang out with the people that that sort of not you want to be like, but but have the same uh, energy, same, same energy, motivation, right? same energy as yeah. Well, we so we have a lot of you know community activists, farmers, chefs. We have a lot of type A personalities around us. <laughs> so I would be willing to bet that our daughters are going to be kind of type A. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good though. I have, I'm really good friends with um, Kellen, Kellen and Lihao. You know Kupoa. I okay. went to I went to school with oh, Kellen. Oh, nice. Yeah, I went yeah. to school with Kellen, and my claim to fame is I recorded their first demo for them in Lihao's house. Here. Yeah, that. They they don't they probably don't remember because I just I never know what I was doing I just recorded on my MacBook Pro but yeah you I have your ukulele oh, I, it's so Close shame by. I don't I don't I don't even have an ukulele in this house oh, all at the office before we're done before we're done I gotta show you my Ranyasura okay 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 but yeah like they they just had a kid too last year and they bring their kid mm-hmm. every like they said yeah the first two weeks or she was maybe like a couple months old okay gotta go tour to california yep you want to tour yep. to california with them you know amanda took ellie to with her to burma when ellie was three years three months old <laughs> yeah it's crazy and we freaked out we freaked out my parents but it was, it was a big event for amanda she uh-huh. had to go yeah yeah and she's like and i was like she's like what do you think i'm like fuck babe give up go for yeah, it yeah 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 you guys you guys That's are up. doing a good job i was wondering because thanks yeah. I always gotta. I always try to get the tips from the parents that I seem like, man, they're doing a good job. So I can't. Support. I do the same thing. Yeah. I ask my friends that have been married for 15, 20 years, how do you do it? You know, I was just talking with, I was recently talking with a couple of friends on like, okay, you know, your kids and drinking. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts? You know, how do you deal with your children when they want to experiment? How do you talk to them? You know, those yeah. are very real. Those are very real conversations. Um, and I am, and Amanda and I are not the type of parents that would want to make our children feel like they couldn't be a hundred percent honest with us. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So I respect, I respect what you're telling me, Ryan. Like, I think um, we don't do that enough, especially as like Asians. You know, <laughs> yeah. Our parents kind of, you know, your parents kind of teach you like, you know, you know, you don't share your problems. You know, yeah, you, yeah. you never put a bad face out. Yeah, shame, make shame, no make shame. Yeah, I know, you know. Shame. <laughs> the way I look at it was. I think I can do my best to not make my family shame by, but by being honest, right? Yeah, yeah. Because it's more yeah. shame if you if you're not honest and come out later that you fucked up. You know, it's more shame. Yep. So. Yep. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So you've you've done all these things like you you worked you went to CIA you came back home you worked at Town Chef Mavro you mm-hmm. owned three restaurants at one time I, I think now that you're working at Punahou right <laughs> like you you transferred transferred over and that yeah want, that was crazy. I wanted to just ask you, like, what is your definition of success today? Like, you know, you've done all of these things. I don't know. Um, because in, a, in, a, in the traditional definition of success, I don't, I think that as, as people, we kind of define success as like a pinnacle that you've hit. Like, I'm yeah. successful now. Yeah, yeah, You're yeah. on your way to being successful. You're going to be successful when you grow up. I think success is kind of an ongoing, it's like a lifelong journey. Um, you know, Amanda and I, we still, we still rent. We still have to watch our finances. But we love, we love what we do. 
So I think that's success. I think that's like a life success. We, um, you know, the, uh, I think the statistics for married couples that run a successful business and endure more than 10 years of marriage is something like 10%. Oh shit! I can just feel my beer. <laughs> One second, I'll grab a towel. The 10% scared me so much I dropped my beer, bro. But like we're almost at a decade. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't see the two of us. Beer. I don't is that your wife? Yeah. She's like, what did Hello. you do? <laughs> Give me stink eye. Um, what did you do? Oh, I get that. I get that every day. So don't worry about it. Um, I think I think we are in a type of success. You know, during this quarantine, we still had work. Granted, we lost some work, but we still had work. We have been able to meet amazing people even during this time through feeding. I think those are all elements of success. As far as like a I chef, believe, what do huh? chefs consider? Like, you know, you are a chef. Like a lot of the people that listen to the show are chefs, aspiring chefs. Like what, what has, has your, has your definition of success changed as it, what a chef should consider successful? Because to me, like, Abs- absolutely. Because for me, like it was, you know, once you hit, like you make money and it's like, Oh, I'm still not, if that doesn't make you happy, then it's like, is that really successful? Maybe being yep. happy is way more important for, for the, to yep. be called successful you know yep so then here about this this is to all this is to all of the the, the cooks the industry people that 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 watch this right to nobody's fault not to fault our industry but the way that most of us were were brought up professionally is you work in restaurants you work your way up to being a chef maybe you break off and you open your restaurant maybe somebody invests in you so then you have a restaurant and you start to acquire accolades. No. Um, then to become more successful, you need to open up more restaurants. And that is what has traditionally defined us as, as successful chefs. How many restaurants you have is how right, successful right? you are, right? No. Best new chef get invited to all the food things what I call bullshit now I don't call bullshit on how we were raised mind you now get please understand I am not dissing the way that we grew up professionally yes um, um, am I gonna get the, uh, um, um, yeah honey I, you gotta hurry up what? Um, I can't remember okay come back when you remember oh, or say hi to Uncle Ryan Hi, can you hear me? Hi. Hi. That's Frankie, my little Frankie. one. Is that the older one or yes. the other little one? The younger the little one? little one, yeah. Um, you remember those pots that you can Yeah, no, we're not, we're not freezing those. This is part of what makes our family tight. So, anyway, I'm not dissing the way they were raised. All I'm saying is that as people in our industry, like, we all want to give. We all want to serve. That's why we love this job. We are service-oriented people. Well, to be able to serve, it's so much greater than, than four walls. So, and right, like if you're a chef, you know exactly what I'm talking about is that you would love to give the time that you have for charity events. 
And when we give those charity events, yes, it's fun. We get to see the rest of our peers, colleagues, and friends. We usually get to party with them afterwards. But there's also something really fun and fulfilling about seeing how stoked, like when the, you know, the organizers come, they tell you, thank you for giving your time. We raised X amount of money. It's going to help this amount of people. And we feel good. We feel genuinely good about that. Well, what if you could take that good feeling and parlay that into something that you got to experience all the time and yeah. not just under the stress of a restaurant? And especially with this in this time of COVID, what I've seen is I've seen amazing people do amazing things by thinking outside of the box. I think that what, what where our industry is going to go, what I would like to do, and it is to express to all of you watching that success, we are not, de our success is not defined by four walls. It's not, it's not, you know, it's not defined by a tasting menu or, or magazine covers. Our success is defined by the fact that we have the privilege to fulfill people's lives through food. You know, um, when we, when, the, when COVID happened, people asked us, why did we not open our own kitchen to cook? And it's because Amanda and I realized that our, the best way that we could serve our community is by helping other organizations that were already doing that work, right? So we leveraged our network, we leveraged our friends, we leveraged our co-producers to be able to provide food ingredients for you know community kitchens already cooking. Like that's success. And I think that what I would challenge all of our industry watching is that if you think about what makes you happy, if you think about what you really love about our industry, do that. Even if it's not, even if it might not be, even if you think to yourself, okay, no, well, you know, I'm a sous chef now at a Michelin restaurant and that's great, but what I would really love to do is to be able to bring really awesome food to midwives. Fuck, go do that. You know? Provide, provide a meal service for midwives who are not leaving the side of their, of their clients, their mothers-to-be. Figure out how to provide them with meals that they need. You can go do that. You want to be a chef and a farmer? You know what? You can. You know, I, there's, a, there's a chef here, Lindsay Ozawa. He was Nobu's right hand. He opened up Nobu's Waikiki. helped open up Nobu's Vegas. Like he's a fucking hammer. He's one of the best cooks that I know in my life. Who left all of that six figures, good six figures, left all of that to become a farmer, and not a farmer at some well-established, you know, farm that yeah. sold, you know, commodified goods. He was he became a farmer at, at a very small little farm called Kakuhuivi, and I've never seen Lindsay so happy. You know, like you got, you want to do something. Fucking go do it. Don't, don't quit early. I think that, you know, I'm fortunate that my success is, is rooted in many years of being a line cook. Mm -hmm. You know, so I, I, I feel very, you got to make, you got to pay your dues, yeah. which is also what many of us gripe about as chefs, right? Is that you have, you have this younger generation that they want to move so fast. It's like, no, like you can't even, you can't even execute a whole service flawlessly, you know? Like, no. So you got to pay your dues. But as you're paying your dues, never forget about what drives you, what fuels your fire, what makes you want to wake up every day and go like, fuck yeah, I'm ready. Never lose sight of it. That's a good answer, man. Like, I, I, yeah. I really feel like that's a thing that 
maybe society and as a general, maybe not just the cooking industry, but culinary industry, but just society in general is missing that component of happiness is a super important component of success. Cause I know a lot of just through like you, you and what I've done, like I've met a lot of really, really rich people that are fucking miserable. Like yep. to me, that's not successful. You know, like you're, mm-hmm. you have all this money. But they thought it was. The they time. thought it was. And then now they're, they're kind of stuck because it's like, oh, they did all these things to get there. And not all of them are cutthroat. You know, a lot of them are really nice people too. But it's just like, you know, there's there's a cost of that as well that people don't really see. There's a cost. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. And that's what to... you see though. A lot of these wealthy people, they try to like make amends or they realize that it's time for them to leave a legacy. Mm-hmm. So they become very, you know, um, philanthropic. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is good. Yeah. But yeah, I agree with you, Ryan, wholeheartedly is that, you know, if, if your idea of success, if your definition of success is still that bottom line, that income, I would challenge you to just double check that. You look, if it is, if money is your thing, so be it, you know, but if it's not, tap into that. Yeah. Yeah. Some good advice. Cause some, for some people it is like, for some people owning that, owning 10 restaurants and making a lot right. of money is what's right. going to really make them happy. And that's but, important. Yeah. Right. It's you got to, like, just got to know yourself. Yeah. 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 That's kind of, I appreciate a good one is a real quick, good example is, is, is Roy Yamaguchi, hmm. you know, like I call him Papa. He's always um, treating me like a son. And so I, I you know, he's like a, he's like a, he's like a second dad to me, but um, you know, chef Roy, always knew he had his ends and insight and goal and what he wanted to provide for his family so opening up chain a chain was the way to go and i give that i give him credit too because he didn't lose sight of that right and look at him today he's philanthropic he's got kids growing up you know like like he's doing it so comes in all success comes in all shapes and forms yeah yeah was 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 the decision to to go to Punahou similar like as the decision to leave Hula like was it one of those kind of oh. gut check kind of realization kind of things or was it just no I was scared shit about Punahou in fact <laughs> I was I am still I'm so Punahou know, for I'm people still... that are listening that don't know in Hawaii it's like kind of like how would you it's kind of like the Ivy League high school of Hawaii right it's like the best oh, it's just no 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 Punahou is a private Punahou is a private school in Hawaii. It's the best. Yeah, it's, are, it's, a lot of people consider it the best, right? Barack Obama went to Puno, right? right? Let's get say that. We have our president went to Puno. Yes, yeah. yes, that is a claim to fame, yeah. uh, as as well as Henry Capono. Yeah. But um, it's a private school, and um, I Amanda and I had both been presenting at Puno Hall for a few years to like the, you know, the, the APKs, to uh, environmental sciences, et cetera, et cetera, to entrepreneurial, you know, the accelerator program. And then one night the uh, principal came up, Emily, and she was like, hey, you really connect with the audience. Did you ever think about being a teacher? And I said, uh, no way. So you, there's, you see there's a, there's a thread here, right? Because I said the same thing about culinary school. Uh, I said, nope. I said, my mom was a teacher. I know a lot of teachers and I said, and the work that you guys do, I would never, I would never consider myself a teacher, you know, like, like the, what teachers do is, is pretty freaking amazing. And she's like, well, no, 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 no. She said, you know, I, I think otherwise. And I said, well, Emily, I appreciate it. I am 
you know, we have three restaurants and two kids and, and I don't know how I could do that. And she said, well, if you ever change your mind, let me know. Fast forward to 2018 and we were in the middle of everything and I was miserable. I was an asshole because one, nobody had mentored me on how to be an inspirational chef in multiple restaurants. Two, I never wanted to be a chef in multiple restaurants. Um, and three, like to be honest, Ryan, like I didn't know how to process my emotions. So I was just angry all the time. And then one day, um, my mom, mom called, well, she texted, she goes, hey, will you please call me when you have time? And mom never says, will you please, like that. She'll, you know, she's like, I don't mean to be a bother, but can you call me back? Or I mean, I know you're busy, will you call me back? This is the first time she ever was like, really like, will you please call me? Um, so then I called her, I said, hey, and we're, we're really busy. And I'm like, what's up, mom? And she goes, uh, can you come to the house? I kind of want to talk to you. I said, sure. I said, you know, mom, um, I said, we're busy today, tomorrow. I said, you know, Saturday, Sunday, we got this. We're going to try rest a little on Sunday. And I, I think I said something, you know, can I come see you next week? And she said, sure, no problem. It's kind of important. And when she told me it's kind of important, um, I knew there was something important. So I, I go, I said, you know what? I said, I'm coming up now. And so I, I drove to the house and she opens the door. She said, come, and we go right inside. And there's like chairs by the door. She said, come sit down. And I, and I knew what she was going to tell me. And she said, you know, Mark, I said, I haven't been feeling good. And um, so I went to the doctor, they did some tests. And she's like, I have pancreatic cancer. And I was like, okay. She was like, then she's like, we talked a bit more, went home, told Amanda, you know, and then we went back and talked to her and she's like, so how long? And it was like eight weeks. Oh, man. And it was just like, like what? And, you know, and so mom getting sick prompted the conversation between my wife and I on what was really important. So for all of us in the industry too, this is another reason like, you have those gut checks, right? You talk about like, like we talked earlier about, you know, going from your not all. This is one of those moments where we kind of, my wife and I were talking from here. And then we realized that I really wanted to like, if I had had my way, I would have like closed everything the next day. But my wife was like, no, we're not going to do that. What we're going to do is we're going to wrap down. So we made the decision to close all the restaurants, just pursue catering and see where it goes. We didn't have a plan after that. We did it. I'm scared shitless. But we close the restaurants just to catering, and all of a sudden we are just as busy, or if not busier, than we were before. And then we realized that we're still not getting very much time with my mother. But thankfully, because of a miracle, they're able to, you know, the, the, the tumors shrink and they kind of disappear. And then one night, Amanda was like, Hey, have you talked to Puddle? Yeah. She was like, You ever thought about it? Yeah. So I sent Emily an email and she was like, yeah, let's get together. And that started this. So at Punoho now, um, I developed curriculum. So I developed food and Aina based curriculum. If you don't know Aina, Aina is like land. So I'll basically like outdoor education. And I try to tie in with um, other students and teachers 
K, kindergarten through 12th grade, uh, just to sort of make the connection with food and, and where we come from. And it's been something that I've always loved. If you remember it earlier, food is, to me is what brings people together. Food, it, and it, it's, it's, it's very much a direct explanation on why I am like furiously passionate about Simon. But, you know, because that brings us together, tells a story. And between like Simon and Ulu, like really, Ryan, how freaking cool is that if I could come up with an entire curriculum based off of Simon or based off of an emu, like how to make an emu. Uh, and emu is a, is a traditional Hawaiian underground oven. But, you know, that was one of, the, one of those things where in a restaurant, in the, in the course of service, I would think about that. Like, well, what is that? You know, an emu is an underground oven and food comes out really moist and tender because basically you make a fire, you heat up rocks, and then you put, you know, a lot of tea leaf and banana stumps on the rocks to create steam and heat, put your food down there, cover it, and then let it go overnight. Basically like low and slow. But then there's always questions like, why does food come out so tender? Well, if you cover it, what's the actual maximum temperature inside an emu? What is the PSI in emu? And you know, when does it start to dissipate? <laughs> yeah, so yeah. all of a sudden, these things are coming to me that I've thought about in service that now I can't figure out and see if it's a, it's a class. You know? Must be a trip teaching, not to stereotype, but Punahou kids, like emu cooking and frying fish and stuff like that, cleaning fish and... Because if you grew up in town, I don't know how much opportunities you have to do this kind of stuff, you know? I agree, Ryan. I yeah. think that, but I think that that extends to more than just Puno students. You know, it's like, it's like knowing, it's like understanding. Great one. And it was, it was with Puno students, but I was surprised how many of them actually knew how to clean fish. So, uh, um, and, and was it a ninth grade, a ninth grade teacher? wanted to do some sort of a um, lesson around invasive species. And we were just about to end last year. It was just about to go into summer. So we, we did this class on cooking fish. And so we cooked ta'ape, right, which is an invasive, yeah. which is an invasive fish. And, um, you know, in, in working with invasive species, both as chefs and as, as I guess, conservationists, is like, what is the best way to... Uh, what is the best way to get rid of an invasive species? Well, make it yummy, right? So that's what we did with Taape. So we taught the kids. The kids studied in their own class about Taape, where it came from, uh, why is it invasive? And then what we did for the last day of school is I taught the kids how to fry fish. I'm like, you guys, I'm like, how many of you are going camping? You know, they raise their hand. I'm like, how many of you know how to raise, you know, clean fish? And what was cool is like actually a handful of them did. Oh, that's good. But the other two-thirds didn't. So, you know, we brought those kids up. And then we, we taught the rest of the two-thirds of the kids how to clean fish, you know, and how to fry fish properly. And then the class ended with everybody getting to take some fried fish and play. Right on. Sounds good. Yeah. But you gave us a good segue to get into Simon finally after 50 minutes of talking on this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> but so, so what is this love for Simon? Where does it come from for you? And Simon, for people that don't know, is like Hawaii's noodle soup you know it's like the yeah our version of ramen almost but how did you what is where does this love of simon come from well i mean i grew up with simon my auntie colleen is uh is cousins with um with hamura the hamura family oh, no shit. so when we were growing up 
there's always a case of Hamura Simon in, in our freezer. And so interesting because because it was always there, I never appreciated it right till later. But for me, Simon is a very indelible impression on in who we are, you know, as people Hawaii. It is, you know, a combination of, you know, Japanese, of Chinese, you know, Chinese noodles, and then, you know, this this sort of katsubushi shrimp stock, which is, you know, has Japanese roots to it. And then plantation era, right? You join whatever, whatever get. And Siamese is, is actually very a very humble dish. There's green onions. Maybe there's some like sliced, you know, egg omelet. And there's like trust you or spam. And then you can add wonton. And I'm a big fan of wonton. So I grew up with Simon. And fast forward to today. And when ramen really started to take off, you know, mind you, like 10, 10, 12 years ago, 12 years ago, the bougiest ramen joint we had in Hawaii, Hawaii was like ramen Nakamura, you know, which is not even bougie, but it was, you know, it was, you went to ramen Nakamura for something special. And then ramen started to proliferate. You know, you got David Chang, Momofuku, you know, Ivan, all you guys proliferated. And in Hawaii, you start to see bowls of ramen for like $25, 30 Yeah, nuts. So going back to this, like, like, fucking kill me. Like ramen <laughs> is like, you know, ramen is, is ghetto food, it's street food. You know, it, but it's, it's street food that, like, you know, people like Ivan elevated, right? And they, they took it and they studied it and they made it amazing. So here in Hawaii, people were starting to talk about ramen this and ramen that. But I also knew that growing up, Simon shops were disappearing. And for myself, I always gravitated towards Simon. Um, for any ramen eaters out there, please don't hate me. But when I eat ramen, I don't drink the whole bowl of soup. I know a lot of us do. Um, but for me, it's just too much sodium and calories. And I'm, I'm already a, a fluffy kind of guy. So, And Simon was a little bit cleaner. I also eat with my, my head. Um, I don't like, I don't so much as for my palate is like, I don't, I don't taste flavor so much as I like taste memories. So for me, Simon was, a, is a very, it's a very intimate, it's really intimate. You know, Amanda, my wife, you know, she thinks I'm crazy. She would never eat Simon with me every day. You know, I'll eat Simon on a 90 degree day. <laughs> you know, old Simon shops like Palace Simon. There's no air conditioning. So yep. it's 90 degrees, you know, 80% humidity. And you're sitting down sweating over a bowl of Simon. And it's great. <laughs> so for me, Simon is that. It's a very emotional connection. It's a, it's a connection to who we are and where we came from. Mm. Um, and, I, and I love it, you know. And, and I also love how being a chef makes you think about the dish itself and while i am a i am in you know i do scream and shout and rant and rave about keeping things simple and keeping things as it is you know i always have a curious side i mean like well, what if you could change the ingredients you change the change the dashi a little bit um but at the end of the day it's still simon still resonates right with this sort of simplistic yet very very tangible connection to who we are where we came from 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I never had ramen until I was. I might not not have eaten ramen until I was an adult. I just ate saimin, you know, all growing up, and maybe my first bowl of ramen was in my twenties or something. Uh huh. But how is what is the in in your eyes? What's like the main differences between saimin and ramen? Oof, I think it's a soup. You know, to me, ramen soup. I mean, no, because you know, like shio ramen, shoyu ramen. Even miso is still pretty simple. Mm-hmm. But yet, like Simon has got to be a pretty clear broth. Um, please don't get too crazy with the garnishes. You know, to me, when I think of Simon, I think of a clear soup, negi, green onions, maybe egg. Got to have chasu. Uh, or spam, and some sort of a green veggie. Yeah, yeah you know, yeah. I like mustard cabbage. Mustard cabbage, yeah, solid. Um, yeah. What about on like on Kauai? You know, everyone has heard of hamuras, but were there any other places that you remembered growing up? It was always just hamura. I mean, I think my dad said there was another place. There's another place called Shiro's that I've never been to. Unfortunately, I don't know why I've never been there. I I I went there and got the Terry Burger. I didn't get the Simon. But it's there. I never tried it yet. But, um, but Hamura's has been like the spot for a long time, as long as I've been alive. But my dad's generation, there was more spots. But they're like mm. you said, they're they're all kind of disappearing and dying. Do you know why Kauai is known? And I've asked many old timers this. Do you know why? Is it? Do you think that Kauai is most known for Simon because of Hamura's? I think so. I think that's kind of like the why why people go. I mean. Hamura's is kind of like become iconic on Kauai. Like you go, yeah. my my kid went to preschool right down the street from Hamura's, and like ten o'clock in the morning, you know, or eleven lunchtime, there's like a line out the door at yeah. Hamura's, and it's yeah. like super hot middle of summer kind, and everybody's still like lining up. So. Still go. Yeah, but um, yeah, Hamura's has just been like it's it's a uh, on Kauai at least that's kind of like the go to place. What what do you think is what is your favorite? Simon's spot in Hawaii. Is it Palace Simon still, or is it? Have you has any? Place yeah, you know, like I, Palace Simon is a memory because I grew up with it. Okay. Um, and then, you know, Scott and Susan, I've I've been blessed to become friends with over time. I really like Obachang's wonton. She still makes it. You know, she still makes it really OG, and, and it's a yummy one. So Palace is one of my favorites. Um. You know, but but Shige's and Shiro's too. You know, it, it's I love for you know at Shige's seeing how seeing how Uncle still makes the noodles every day. You know, um, if you saw if you got to see Simon says uh, they let us in their kitchen and we got to watch them make noodles, and he's got this he needs his noodles with a long PVC pipe. Oh, that's kind of like every um, day. There's a style of ramen that they do that. I forget what it's called. I had a previous guest that talked about that style. But they, they use bamboo in Japan. But it's the same uh-huh. kind of idea. Same kind of more, yeah. yeah. I mean, how, how cool is that? Like, he's a household name. They're a household name. So, I would say I do frequent Palace the most. But definitely, you got to make a stop. You know, if I'm, if I'm out that side, you got to stop by and say hi. Um... And here's why I don't have a favorite is the great thing about food is what, what is my favorite might not be yours. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. 
because people always ask like well, what's your favorite what's your favorite so you know i personally love palace she is and shitos and zippies and when i think about it that's one of the few that pretty much encompasses about a little more than half of all the guys still going mm-hmm. and a lot of favorites is because of where it's located geographically right what's convenient yeah yeah you know, i'm not you know i'm not right i'm not the guy anymore like i don't have the time to drive 45 minutes you know just to grab lunch and so you do things out of convenience i'm lucky that like palestine min for me is not just convenient but has a very strong memory attached to it yeah um you know, right around the corner from Palace is, is Helena's wine food. Yeah. Believe me, I've I've like gone to Palace, gotten a small wonton man, and then gone to Helena's for pee call on point. I've done that before, many times. You know, so I'm we're lucky. You know, it's close. What is? Well, how would you describe the? So you're a chef, so you probably have a better idea, but the flavor profile of like Palace salmon, because I've never eaten Palace salmon. I've only been uh-huh. like Hamura's for like my whole life. Like, what do you think are the core components of that? Like, the, in specifically the soup, is it like a pork soup? soup? They do the, they do the, no, they do the, they do the, um, ebi and katsubushi. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And it's clean. It's not shrimpy, but it's not, you know, they, they, they steep it for the, for the right amount of time. So it's not, you know, one flavor is not overpowering. Mm. I think at the end of the day, like with any dish, you want it to have balance. And what I get out of Palestine Man is like, I can taste everything and everything works. So to me, that that's pretty, that's both important in a good dish and also what draws me back. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is, is any kind of bones common in Simon too? Do you know that? Like, cause in ramen, it's always yeah, like pork I, bone, chicken bones. Right. I know, uh, who was it? Is it Shige's? That does it with chicken, chicken bones. They make, a, they make like a chicken broth. I can't remember where I had it. I had it at another Simon shop. But it is definitely not the majority. The, you know, the most places I know is that sort of katsubushi or dried ebi sort of mm. flavor profile. Okay, okay. Good to know. I, I really want to try and make one, a Simon video or something. And uh, But I, I'm, I've only had Hamura's. So like, I think Hamura's uses some kind of bones too. That's why. You know who did one with bones, and it was a cool demo. But uh, if you look at Eater, and and Sheldon did one, one yeah. You saw Sheldon's one, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, it works. It comes out good and it's tasty. What is um, where? Where does where do you think the line is for the? Where does it cross over from Simon to ramen? Do you think there's a line, or is it kind you of? You know, like I, was, an, I was thinking about that. I wanted to ask you what you thought that definition was. Yeah. Um, I asked myself that too because when I make my Simon dashi at home. I add a little bit of pork, pork extract, you know, which is all of a sudden, you know, it's and now we're starting to lean a little more towards like a, like a tonkotsu, right? Yeah, sort yeah. of flavor profile. Um, to me, Simon, and then if I were to say, well, Simon to me is clear soup with, you know, four or less garnishes, that could very well be ramen as well. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if Simon is, I wonder if characteristics of Simon is just that, you know, dried ebi, kasubushi sort of broth with a slightly thicker noodle, definitely not a thinner noodle like ramen. 
It's yeah, something that I've been struggling with too. Like where, do, where does it, I know that in ramen, we usually add like oil directly into the soup. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know if Simon is, if that's common, you, you dump like two tablespoons of oil or one tablespoon I, of oil. I right never have. Yeah. Um, and that's another one. You don't get goma. There's no goma bura. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You don't have sesame oil in it in, in, in most Simon's. Come to think about it. And even when you dip your wonton, right? It's just show you hot show you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's a good characteristic. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think. I gotta go. Maybe do some research on this because I want to get it right. But I also want to figure out how to do something that's more ramen relatable too. But because even on the table, right? There's like black pepper. There's shoyu, Tabasco. Usually, yeah, yeah. You don't have the rayu on the table like you do in a ramen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just not what. It's not what we grew up with. Yeah. Kwai is like chili pepper water. That's like the chili standard. Water, yeah. Yep. Right with you. You ever took your Terry burger and dipped it in your side? <laughs> no, never tried. That's fucking good. <laughs> Maybe that's where the oil come from. The Terry yeah, burger oil be. coming. <laughs> yeah, that. All right. Yeah, I could. I could try. To try. I might hit you up for more tips, but I should help hit up Sheldon too. I've never talked to him in person or online or anything, but you know, been a fan. Yeah, I can connect you guys. Oh yeah, that'll be that'll be nuts. Sheldon, sure. for people who are listening, is he's been on he was on Top Chef, right? Was it Top Chef? He, or? he is he is Hawaii's face. Yeah, yeah. Now, he yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's kind of like the guy. Um, he's the Sheldon guy. Simeon. He's on. Was it Top Chef? Which show was it? There's so many of these cooking shows. Top, Top he Chef. was on Top Chef. Uh, I forgot what season it was, and he came away in third place. You know, he show he's gone back for a couple of reunions. He's always a fan favorite. Yeah, he's a Hilo boy. Now in uh, now on Maui with his with his his Ohana, um, shouting you can't miss shouting in Top Chef. He's the one that wore the the, the, the big orange the fluorescent orange beanie. Really humble, you know, good guy. Um, I love his food. If you're in Maui and you have and you gotta go to Tin Roof for lunch, you know, curbside takeaway only now. But uh, you know. Oh, Ryan, the drive-in. His drive-in is amazing. <laughs> I got to try. <laughs> yeah, his drive-in is amazing. Yeah. But drive-in has sesame. Drive- yeah, Most yeah. drive-in is you finish with Goma, goma Abura. Yeah, okay. I think that's pretty good. I think, I think this is a good one, bro. I know you got your kids. You got to cook dinner and stuff. So I don't want to take up too much more of your time. But No, so I appreciate much. it. You know? Yeah. I, it. I love how, you know, it was a... It was a we did a show for where ramen and we actually only talked about 25 percent <laughs> that's how that's what that's, I, how. That's, that's what i planned you know like i was writing out the questions like actually like ask him all these other questions about family and yeah success and things because you know i i, I talked to lots of people about making ramen and i think for people there's a lot of young chefs that are coming up on the mainland trying to do ramen as their thing and the, the icons that we have to look at in ramen is like Ivan Orkin. There's like, there's, you know, Keizo. You've, you've worked with Keizo before, yeah. you know. And Keizo did work in Japan. And we know a bunch of these Japanese ramen legends like Sano-san, Shimazaki-san, Yamagishi. Like all these like legends. Everyone, Shono, uh, Shono-san. And, but it's like, there's more. I, I feel like with you, like I see just from the outside looking in, like your family and your life. And that's what I would consider successful more than anything. It's like you're happy. It's you guys seem real happy when I look at you guys from the outside looking in. And so, we are happy. We are definitely happy most of the time. Yeah. Um because both Amanda and I are high energy people, 
when we're mad at each other, we're also really mad at each other. <laughs> but, but our, our life is definitely filled with a lot of joy yeah, um, yeah. because of each other, our kids, you know, our community that believes in us. Yeah. 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 Lucky. yeah. yeah. So I just wanted to kind of like talk to you about that. That's because I'm, I'm sure there's chefs out there, ramen chefs out there, people that are working in ramen shops around the country are thinking like me. Oh, right. Wait, hold on. Right. Before you ask your question, have you ever eaten at Sujita in Waikiki before they closed? No, no, no. What is that? So Sujita LA. Well, they were, well, there's one in Japan and one to LA. Oh, it's like a ramen shop? They were known, yeah. They're known for their tsukime. Mm. But you talk about like, you know, like dedicated ramen ramen chefs and their executive chef is a woman from Japan. Oh, it was so good. I miss it. They, I knew they were going to close just because they were so niche and they're in the corner of Waikiki. Uh, oh, I love, I love tsukime. Yeah, tsukime is good. Yeah, it's, it's 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 hard to make a go even in Japan. Like ramen shops, like ten nine out of ten close every year. So yeah, it's kind of the constant turnover. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. No, no, yeah. no worries, no worries. We're wrapping up anyway, so it's been it's been really good. And but you wanted oh, to ask me about family or with, with chefs or something? No, no, no. I just I I just wanted to just bring you on, and I didn't mind talk not talking about ramen or Simon with you because I feel like you know there's I wanted to show these young like a lot of young chefs like there's. There's, there's levels to this game and, you know, it's not about owning 10, 10 restaurants or 50 restaurants. It's about being happy. It's so important and doing stuff that you love and cooking the food that you want to cook, which is what I see you doing right. all the time. So it's really But I think that, that, that sort of time frame, that sort of timeline, the professional timeline, um, I think it's important to, to talk to young cooks and also instill the fact that you cannot forget, you, you know, you cannot get to here without having gone through all of that. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like you got, like you said it earlier, you got to make your bones. You got to pay your dues. You have to apply yourself in, in the most traditional of it. You know, mm-hmm. I remember it, um, Alan Wong telling me one time about how he was really proud of us as a young generation of chefs. And he goes, but you know, you guys are missing something. I'm like, oh, what are we missing? He said, you know, a lot of you guys are missing the basics. And, you know, at first, you know, the, the, the younger person, he was like, hey, we talking about? <laughs> but then he was, he was right in the sense that we're in a, we're in a time and a place where things move so fast uh-huh. that how many young cooks are going to make a castle or learn how to slaughter a chicken start to finish. Right. Or understand what depuyage is or, you know, or a cartouche or, you know, mirepan, things like that. Right. You know, things that I've seen like ramen Tatsuya, the Tatsuya boys, you know, I've seen their ramen incorporated with very classical, you know, cooking techniques that, that are not traditional Japanese, but mm-hmm. those boys, they made their bones, you know, they, they knew the basics and then they could change it. So you gotta, you know, for you guys out there, like a recipe is just a guideline, just like life, life is just a guideline, but you gotta know your basics before you start to change it. For sure, for sure. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of something that just me personally is. I'm not a chef. I'm just like a home cook kind of thing. But trying to find, discover, going through the process of discovering like your own palate and cooking to that, having the confidence to cook to that is kind of like, that's something I feel like, you know, when I watch your videos and stuff, it's like, man, he's cooking with all this kind of like local things. And it takes a lot of courage to do that, to not just do what everybody else is doing, you know, so. Give you props. Yeah, but if you believe it, you know, if you follow in the all, yeah, mahalo. Appreciate it. Right on. So 
Uh, we can just wrap up here. So Gooch has a series called Simon Says. I saw it on the internet. Yeah, Sippy's put it up, I think. Yeah, Hawaiian Airlines is Sippy's, yeah. Hawaiian so. Airlines put it up. So Thanks, guys. I, all appreciate. the videos are up there. And then uh, they want to hit you up we on got- Instagram. Musubi man, M-U-S-U-B-M-A-N. Simon Says got greenlit for season two. Oh, serious? Check it out. Yeah. Maybe she cook some Simon in the next next season or something. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's go visit you. Oh shit! That's kind of shit. Better watch out, Ryan. <laughs> All right, man. Have a good one. Take care, Thank fam. You. Say hi to everybody yeah. for me. Mahalo, much. Appreciate it. Right. See ya. See ya. Thanks so much again to Chef Gooch for coming on the show. It's always super cool to watch someone from afar for so long and then finally meet them and then they're basically exactly what you hoped they would be. It was really cool. You can watch his show, Simon Says, on the Zippies website, actually. They uploaded all the episodes of Season 1, so I'll put a link for that in the show notes. And you can follow Gooch on Instagram at Musubiman, so it's spelled M-U-S-B-M-A-N. As always, you can follow me on Instagram at Way of Ramen. And if you enjoy this podcast, you can support the show on anchor.fm slash Way of Ramen. Over on our Discord server, we're currently running a Cook Your Culture slash Cultural Appreciation Ramen Cook-Off contest. The last contest we did was a shitty ramen cook-off, and that was hilarious and a ton of fun. So the replay for that contest is also on the Discord server. But if you don't want to make shitty ramen and you want to give an honest-to-God try of making something cultural or ethnic, please enter our contest. It's free to enter. We're going to have some prizes. It's going to be good fun. We're going to run through the month of June and judging will be sometime in early July. So the link for that will be in the show notes. As always, you can check out my YouTube channel by searching The Way of Ramen and you'll see me try to figure out how to make ramen here in Hawaii. Thank you guys all so much for the support and thank you for listening. I really do appreciate it. I hope you're all staying safe and healthy and I'll see you all in the next episode. Aloha.